Brad and I got together, I think in a very simplified way, the vision was, okay, look, this is becoming a real thing now. Startup communities are growing. Lots of new actors are getting involved. Lots of resources are being thrown at this. We need to dress this up a little bit with more of a research hat. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all around the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and today I am joined by Ian Hathaway. Ian leads product development for ecosystem advisory at Techstars. He's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, co-founder and board member at the Center for American Entrepreneurship, research fellow at Boston University, and investor through The Fund which is a community-led VC consisting of very influential players in startups. And he is here today to discuss his new book with Brad Feld, The Startup Community Way. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. So Ian, I want to start off actually with your Twitter bio. So I see it says, curious about startups, tech and venture, analyst, strategist, writer, coffee purist. But I want to know about what this fox over, I think this is a porcupine or a hedgehog. I'm not, I'm not sure what that second emoji is. Yeah, so I think in the shortest way to to describe this, it's about there's a framework that's about foxes and hedgehogs. Foxes are resourceful and see the world through through a pragmatic lens and solve problems in those ways. The hedgehog sort of is focused on one big idea, and so they can be wrong a lot of the times, but as long as they are right on one big thing, it can sort of make or break a career. Um, so I think of the pundit class, the political pundit class is often a, more of a hedgehog. And I would say data science folks or even software people are more fit more of the fox mode. And so I think what's unique about your journey is you kind of you, you started out in that kind of political pundit ecosystem at you know the Federal Reserve Bank, at the World Trade Organization and then kind of went into the whole world of startups. and So can we just start really with a brief story of, of that transition and what that was like for you? Yeah, I mean, I had a very unusual journey to where uh, I am today working in tech and startups, um, not unlike many people who know in the early days that they want to be an entrepreneur. I, I also wanted to save the world. I went to school for politics and then went on to graduate school for economics. And so my version of saving the world was through policy. I knew I wanted to do analysis and research. I didn't want to do academia. So as you mentioned, I went to, I started out into major economic policymaking institutions, World Trade Organization in Geneva and the Federal Reserve Bank in, in the United States. Excellent training. You know, I had the opportunity to have a front row seat for our nation's response to the global financial crisis in 2008-9, the Great Recession that was a result of that, but felt that that really wasn't for me. I was living over the long term, so I was living in San Francisco at the time, and obviously... you know, A lot of folks around me were doing more interesting things, working with tech and startups. I accidentally fell into, you know, working for an early stage VC fund and incubator in 2013, started, continued my research, but then had a shift towards entrepreneurship and tech. The primary manifestation of that has been through the DC think tank world in applied research through the Brookings Institution. I've done work for the Kauffman Foundation and others. 
I also co-founded, as you mentioned, the Center for American Entrepreneurship. That's more of a recent project. I still do research there. But over time, built a, a small but successful consulting business in San Francisco, advising big tech, media, and financial services clients. That brought me to London, where I built the practice, a technology practice inside of the largest economic consultancy in, uh, in Europe. Again, so that's phase. So phase one is research. Some of that continues today. Phase two is is uh, economics consulting in the tech space and media. That had me working with big clients, and while that was interesting and educational, my my heart was really with entrepreneurs and working with entrepreneurs, thinking about entrepreneurs, writing and doing research on entrepreneurs. In two thousand and sixteen, I was so I got connected to. My co-author Brad Feld through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Richard Florida, who's an urban economist who I've done some work with in recent years. And he said, you know, the two of you need to meet. You're interested in a lot of the same things and just kind of let us get on with it. You know, Brad and I communicated over the years and frequently shared work. Around 2016, I was ready to move on from advising big tech and media companies and said, look, what is it that you know, actually, it was my wife's advice. She said, who do you respect most <laughs> that you know in this field? And I said, well, it's Brad Feld, easily. And you know, I reached out to him. He gave me his number. We talked and looked for ways to collaborate. After a few iterations, we decided that uh, an evolution on, on startup communities, which he published in 2012, was what we would do. And it was very much blue sky. And you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, what I think is so valuable about the perspective you gained along your journey is just the fact that the whole DC ecosystem is such a black box to Silicon Valley. I mean, most people there have, have no idea how things work here. I'm sure that they've heard the word think tank before, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're aware of what, you know, like how think tanks function, their role in advocacy and policymaking and research. So I do think starting there and then bringing that perspective into the startup world is, is very, very valuable and very unique. Can you maybe like through your experience starting uh, and now serving as a board member at the Center for American Entrepreneurship. What are the specific blind spots you think that Silicon Valley currently has when it comes to uh, think tanks and their role in policymaking for entrepreneurs? Yeah, so let me unpack a couple of things there. Um, so the first is just to say that I believe think tank worlds, which you know essentially produce uh, policy-relevant, at times quite actionable research and thought pieces, to influence public policy. They're typically located in DC because we're trying to influence the federal government, but this also occurs at the state and local level. I'm a non-resident fellow at Brookings in the Metro division, where we obviously focus on the latter, the state and local issues. I believe that think tanks are super important and will increasingly become so as we need to synthesize our increasingly complex world for busy policymakers and the general public who want access to those insights quickly and, and easily. CAE is, uh, at first, it's a policy advocacy organization. So we're interested in influencing policy in an active sense. The research side of it, so the think tank side of it, is really to support those positions. CAE's creation is actually a fascinating story that everyone should hear about. The president and principal founder uh, of the organization is a man named John Deary. His experience was in financial policy in D.C. And 
the financial crisis occurs, John was working for the financial services forum, the 12, the heads of the 12 major banks in the US were thinking about, well, what's the future of economic growth? Where are jobs going to come from? John did some research and found a bunch of analysis out of the Kauffman Foundation, some of which I participated in, that was explaining that startups are actually um, a fundamental source of job creation and economic growth. And this was not a very well-documented thing. Traditionally, the story has been small businesses are the backbone of the American economy. And while small businesses do contribute a large share of employment, it's really these new and young businesses that power growth. So John went on a journey, did uh, a bunch of research, uh, did 12 roundtables, I believe, in 12 different cities, interviewing hundreds of entrepreneurs, wrote this book called Where the Jobs Are. I believe it published in 2013 or so. He, In the back, he wrote a policy agenda. And he realized that there was no one to hand this off to, that there was no policy advocacy specifically for entrepreneurs in Washington. Now you had small businesses represented and dependent businesses represented. You have the various sectors, even the venture capital industry has has an interest represented, which obviously overlaps significantly with high growth entrepreneurship, but there was no single organization doing this. And that's why CAE was formed because there was a, you know, in a very entrepreneurial way, John is a, as a visionary policy entrepreneur and saw this market opportunity and fill it. And so what CAE is getting right that I think a lot of folks get wrong, I guess we could say, you know, we could sort of generalize about Silicon Valley. I mean, Silicon Valley firms are very well represented in DC, but I'm not sure how much of the decision-making actually occurs in DC versus home base. But in general, the approach has been with, you know, with entrepreneurs, it's the fly-in strategy, right? So, or in Silicon Valley, right? So you fly into DC, you meet with the elected officials, you take some photos and then you move on, but that's not how policy is made. Policy is actually made by building deep relationships with the staff members over a long period of time. It's not that in those relationships, not unlike the relationships one would form in Silicon Valley for starting and scaling companies, getting investment, finding co-founders, hiring top talent, those relationships when built over time become useful when at, at that moment in time, right? So if a Hill staffer might need something, hey, we're looking to do something on this, what do you have? That's because of the work that's come before that, not some you know, 24-hour fly-in session. And so the beauty about CAE is that we've built an infrastructure on the Hill and in the agencies in Washington to now make leg- meaningful legislation happen. And so that's one of the things, and now we're ready to, you know, to capitalize on that and put entrepreneurs at the center of an entrepreneurial, uh, excuse me, putting entrepreneurs at the center of an economic policy agenda uh, on a permanent basis. And, and, and I should be more specific, you know, when I say Silicon Valley sees DC as a black box, Google and Facebook, they're very, they're, they're very well aware of DC and how it works. And they have some beautiful offices here, Um, but it's more so focusing in on the on like typical kind of startup founder or engineer that that works at a Silicon Valley style startup. You know, I do think that one of the reasons DC hasn't really been able to cultivate a startup ecosystem at the same level of like a New York or a San Francisco or Austin uh, is just because of like, like DC is just not a really a real place. It's not like money doesn't flow here the way it flows in the typical city. And something that you've done, which is, I think a bigger opportunity in DC than a lot of entrepreneurs understand is if you're going to be an entrepreneur here, you have to do it 
a little bit a little bit differently like like starting your own think tank from the ground up like that is something very entrepreneurial and I actually have there there's another guy called his name's Mark Lutter and he has a think tank called um the Charter City Institute and so he's over the past couple of years has been kind of building this think tank putting out this framework on charter cities as an economic development model in frontier markets and so doing things like that being innovative in um you know a, a different ecosystem like DC I think is it is a big opportunity that a lot of entrepreneurs just, it's a blind spot for them just because they don't really know how it works here. Yeah. And also entrepreneurs are typically doing what they should be doing, which is focusing on their business. They generally don't understand how policy is affecting them. So we have done a number of roundtables. I've participated in more than a few of them in various places around the country. And it always unfolds in the same way or some version of the same way, which is, so tell us how public policy is affecting you. And it's sort of people say, I, I don't know, I'm, you know, not too much or this discrete way or that discrete way. And then we start talking about their problems and it just unfolds that, well, actually public policy is affecting you in, in very meaningful ways. Um, and so that's an important part of our process. Our board is consists of current or former entrepreneurs or people who work with entrepreneurs on a daily basis spread from around the country. That board representation, as well as other inputs, including these uh, information inputs, including these roundtables, is, is our form of representing our constituency. And that's what's so weird about um, you know, representing entrepreneurs as a constituency. It's massive, right? Um, so that's our only way to sort of get this collective action together is that we're representing we're representing that that voice of the entrepreneur who who doesn't know isn't thinking about DC or wouldn't know how to plug in if they if they wanted to. to be. Right. So why don't we dive into the book? Really, startup community way is a refinement and expansion on uh, a lot of the original ideas in in Bradsfeld's book Startup Communities that came out in 2012, which by the way was kind of a big catalyst for me in actually launching this podcast in the early days. I came across his book and I realized that. This is a, a trend that I obviously ha obviously see happening, but there's serious insight gaps when it comes to the conversations of startup communities outside the U.S. Uh, at least that was kind of my radar screen. But for you, you know, when you originally got connected with Brad Feld, like how did how did you guys get to the point where like both of your perspectives came together in a book? Like how, how did you decide to, to publish this, this book together? Well, it's it's very much reflective of, you know, the framework we talk about, which is complex adaptive systems and how, how entrepreneurial ecosystems evolve. It's also representative of how, you know, how a startup <laughs> evolves as well. We came in with some ambitions and a targeted timeline, but that all fell to the wayside as uh, more information became apparent that we need to take a different direction. So for those of you who may not know, quick background on Brad's Startup Communities book from 2012. It's chronicling his experience as an entrepreneurial ecosystem builder in Boulder, uh, where he's lived since, I believe, 1995, was in Boston before that. There are a ton of practical insights in that book about what to do in this situation, that situation, loads of examples from this or that. Boulder is a great example because the community there is so collaborative. It often, one of the criticisms of Brad's book is that, well, how much can you generalize from Boulder? And 
you know, each city is so different, but I think there are tangible principles to learn from. And I would argue that Boulder is a great case to, to learn from in the sense that it gets the most juice out of the lemon possible. It's entrepreneurial output for that size, even accounting for the fact that there are amazing resources, you know, talent, institutions, and so on, natural amenities. It gets a lot of output. And so that's why I think it's a model to look after. So the main framework that Brad puts forward in there is called the Buller thesis, which is putting entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the, the, the startup community must be led by entrepreneurs. Principally, um, the entrepreneurial community must be inclusive of anyone who wants to participate. You must take a very long-term view of, tw- you know, basically a generation and that has been refined to say a generation from today. So you've always got a 20 year view each and every day. Um, So if you've been at it for 25 years, it doesn't mean you're at negative five years. Now you're still 20 years looking down the road. And the final was that it should, you know, engage the entire entrepreneurial stack, which is sort of all the different dimensions of folks who could be involved. That has been a very useful framework. And my observation of that, putting my research hat on is that, you know, it's, it's an, it's anecdotal. There, there are some frameworks that Brad, some historical frameworks that Brad presents in the beginning, but it's mostly about his experience. And what's fat, what has been fascinating to me is that that book has been fairly accepted in, even in academia, which publications like that typically are not. Now there's been, there have been criticisms of it in academia. So for example, there's one that says, you know, entrepreneurs, we're not even clear that entrepreneurs are the center of the universe and entrepreneurial ecosystems, which is seems kind of wild to me. I mean, I know where that's coming from, but I, I think that's entirely the wrong way to think about it. But it's a very useful book for understanding st- startup communities and providing meaningful action points. When Brad and I got together, I think in a very simplified way, the vision was, okay, look, this is becoming a real thing now. Startup communities are growing Lots of new actors are getting involved. Lots of resources are being thrown at this. We need to dress this up a little bit with more of a research hat, right? Let's add some more frameworks to it. Let's get some data points. Let's make this a real thing that can be defensible. Again, the Startup Communities book from 2012, I feel like really nails it. And the deeper you go, the more you realize that it's got a lot of what you need. And that's why it's so powerful and beloved by practitioners. But that was kind of the original goal. But as we started going into this and I started talking to loads of people, I realized that we were actually on a different mission. And the mission was that we needed to really explain the behavior of startup communities as bottom-up phenomenon and particular properties that make engaging with them in a very top-down controlled way problematic. That's unfortunately the way that a lot of actors in the ecosystem, the broader ecosystem, we we break down the difference between communities and ecosystems. We can talk about that a bit if you want, but um, that are trying to impose the wrong, um, impose the wrong approach on startup communities from the top down in controlled ways. Brad talks about that in the first book, but we really explain kind of the science behind that. Um, and why those efforts are doomed to fail. We use uh, this framework called complex adaptive systems to explain that. So in short, we felt that our mission, so rather than sort of beefing up a little bit the 
evidence base and, you know, I would say classical frameworks around economics of regions and entrepreneurship and innovation, um, things around sociology, relationships, social capital, we realize that, no, we actually need to emphasize the systemic properties. And one of the things that was, in my mind, was, wow, everyone is using this term ecosystem, which if you know anything about systems, systems are principally defined by the interactions, the interdependencies of the parts. But then this language is being used, but then all these frameworks were about the parts themselves. Like, oh, let's talk about an accelerator. Let's talk about an incubator. Let's talk about a this and that. And really no one was, I felt like in the major frameworks was, was really honing in on this notion of what are the systemic properties and how does that affect how we engage? That's very important for community builders who understand this already it's, we're hopeful that this will provide them with some new insights, but also a language and framework to take to those uh, institutional actors who could be of a potential resource for their communities. Um, and similarly, for those institutional actors to understand why this kind of bottom-up approach, experimental approach, is actually the only way that the uncertainty in this is inherent. It's not avoidable. And so we have to take a resilient and agile approach. And, and I do, I do think a good place to go is the distinction between startup community and entrepreneurial ecosystem. But I guess before we get into that, like when you say this, this concept of ecosystem as a very large, complex system that has a lot of different inputs and outputs, you know, when when you think about this past year, when you think about everything that's happening with the virus, did it accelerate the thesis of the book and trends you were already talking about, or do you feel like? the virus has changed things and, you know, already kind of the thesis needs to be even, even further adapted for, for a completely um, you know, remote world. Absolutely not. If anything, this has maybe been the only gift of this virus, which um, I think, you know, Andrew, as you and I have talked about is actually just has sucked yeah. on so many dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> so this is funny. So Brad's, Brad's written a bunch of books. I don't know seven or eight or something. This is my first book. Okay. So the thing I was so excited about, you know, because kind of my philosophy is, okay, this book is about framework, principles, philosophy. Uh, Where this needs to go is lots and lots of storytelling, right? Like this is, it's limited in that way. Um, You know, in complex systems, uh, something that worked in one city is going to fail in 10 others and vice versa. So I think storytelling is really important to be layered on top of these um, these principles. So the thing I was most excited about was going out and pressing the flesh and meeting thousands of people, you know, traveling around the world. We were talking about, okay, we'll do an Asia circuit, Africa, Europe, US, all this stuff. And that is out the window. And I was so defeated by that because this was like my, I don't know, like my graduation, you know, and I wanted to just go out and, and meet lots of folks. But Brad said to me, look, you're missing the big picture here. We carefully walk through the explaining complex systems, which is actually itself complex. It was very difficult to explain this in a way that could be, that could be easily grasped by a normal person who's not versed in systems theory. And a number of the behaviors that are inherent in complex systems, like um, contagion, um, you know, we think of that in terms of viruses, right? But that's also about information spreading, ideas, behaviors, 
phase transition and tipping points. So a phase transition is think of a dam that's, um, you know, it's holding back water one day, there might even be cracks, but it's still holding back water. And then one day the whole thing bursts and you're in a whole new phase, uh, tipping points, right. When you, you think about things like the Arab spring, for example, or other social movements where things, it, it appears that a single event actually caused the whole thing, the whole dam to break, but actually it was these, all these factors building over time. And then there was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back from which you can't return. Um, there are delays uh, from actions and until those actions can be seen. All of these behaviors, which are around us everywhere and are really in our face right now with COVID, are also explain the behavior of startup, of startup communities. And so Brad's point was, look, we're living through a complex system in a very painful and tangible way. People are going to, this is going to connect much more quickly with folks. And so this couldn't be better time. The virus, not that anyone wants the virus, but this, this is actually a great time to be talking about startup communities and entrepreneurial ecosystems in the context of a complex adaptive system. And so Ian, this has been a fantastic conversation. We probably need to do a part two at some point because, you know, uh, there's this book is, there's just a lot, there's a lot to unpack, a lot of insights and new ideas presented in this book that expands on the Boulder thesis and really what's developed over the past decade. But, you know, if you can give us a summary or, or maybe what are the main takeaways that you want people to walk away with after reading this, like what, what would that be? Well, our you know, our central message really is that any startup community can be improved by enhancing collaboration, support, knowledge sharing, helping others without the expectation of receiving something in return, something that Brad calls give first, and then fundamentally placing the entrepreneurs at the center of everything. I think a lot of this stuff can get over complicated, over complex you know, this really isn't rocket science. So I would just implore people from, you know, uh, that aren't actively working with entrepreneurs on a daily basis, but want to get involved. People from, you know, we think typically of corporates and, and, and universities and governments, just look for ways to tangible ways to help entrepreneurs succeed big and small. If you don't know what those things are that you can do to help entrepreneurs in your community succeed, then go and engage with them and listen. And sooner or later, you'll figure it out. But there tends to be people want, tend to want to do things really big, right? Let's launch a corporate accelerator. Let's build a huge innovation co-working space. Those things are all important. But actually, it's these little things applied consistently over a long period of time, which actually improve the chances that entrepreneurs will succeed, which is what you ultimately want. And so that's our simple message. Well, Ian Hathaway, co-author with Brad Feld of the new book, The Startup Community Way, uh, which is available for pre-order on Amazon. I will drop the links in the show notes. Uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today. Andrew, thanks for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to be here.